Good afternoon, good evening, welcome down the security rabbit hole to yet another edition of the Down the Security Rabbit Hole podcast. This is Raf over in that corner. Man, it is you're in the middle today, James. Watch as I'm going to fix that. Oh, Ready? Woo, yeah, magic. Not, I'm not on my screen, but uh, that's all right. How's <laughs> everything right, that's okay. going? I'm all right. I was just in your state uh, a couple hours ago. I was in Fort Lauderdale for some for some meetings. Beautiful nice. beach town. <laughs> It's a it's it's the only place I know that's a suburb besides Chicago, I guess. It's a suburb that has its own major international airport. So kind of interesting. Yeah. Kind of suburb. So anyway, it's folks, that uh, today for spring breakers, that's what it is. Oh, is that what it is? Okay. <laughs> yeah. Right. I'll have to go there for spring break one day when I uh, when I find a time machine and go back to my twenties. Um <laughs> maybe maybe earlier. Anyway. The pod today, we're, uh, as you guys see by the title, uh, we are talking about S-bombs. And uh, we've had the conversation before. It was, you know, it was good. And I think we, we just needed a follow-up. Uh, I think I'm a, a vowed skeptic uh, on the S-bomb idea. Like, it's a great idea in theory to me. Um, and everything worked right and tools were interoperable and standards were real and everybody adhered to them. The world would be safer. I just don't see that happening in, in the broad scale, particularly in the areas where it's needed most. So to continue and expand on that conversation, uh, I've got Varun today. I'm going to give him a chance to introduce himself so I don't screw up his name, title, and the Star Wars theme company that he runs. <laughs> hey, Ralph and James. Thanks for having me. Uh, my name is Varun Badwar, founder and CEO of Endor Labs. Uh, I've been building companies for the last 13 years. Endor is fairly new. It's about uh, 15 months into our journey, but prior to this, I uh, started a company called Rudlock, which got acquired by Palo Alto Networks and is now called Prisma Cloud. So been in it for a long haul. Uh, prior to that, was a practitioner, started very early in cloud security back in 2007 at salesforce.com with 1,500 people. So uh, lots of stories there, but that's for another time because we're talking S-bombs today. That's right. All right. So wh- where do we start? Um First off, I just want to get your take. What's what's your take on this whole S bomb idea? Because it it kind of like you could just see it coming out of left field, so it didn't like just smack you in the head. It was like this long comet slowly arriving, and now that it's here, I feel like um, half the crowd knows what they want to do with it. Half the crowd doesn't want it. Everybody in between is going. Somebody give me an answer. What's your take? Yeah, first off, every time I talk to S-bombs, I want to have a sake bomb, but we'll do that separately. I think there's, ah. you're right, right? This, this is probably for the first time in many, many years, you're seeing regulation ahead of industry readiness for something, right? So let's put that on the table first. There's a and it's great that, you know, there's great that you're seeing the U.S. government kind of push for S-bombs, but most industry doesn't even know how to spell S-bombs right now. So that's one problem. Second piece is honestly, there's a, 
people are kind of over assuming what an S-bomb will do. Let's be real. An S-bomb is ultimately the start of a conversation around transparency in software. Does it actually secure the software in itself? Absolutely not, right? Right now, in fact, um, just a few weeks ago, we posted a, a blog because you can't even get two or three tools to generate the same S-bomb in the same place against the same code. So that's kind of how immature we are in this. Is it a good thing? Absolutely. I think it's the right move to kind of get to a point where eventually we will all be having a transparent way to discuss components of software in all of our environments, but it won't magically secure it. And I'm happy to dive into any of those areas. Yeah, I, you just, you, 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 you were going well and then you said, uh, multiple tools can't generate the same SBOM against the same piece, you know, same uh, code base. Why? <laughs> Isn't that fundamental? That's like four doctors that taking my temperature and saying, so, you're somewhere between dead and on fire. Good luck. Yeah. Now imagine the, if the efficacy of blood pressure monitors or your temperatures and thermometers was just different and you couldn't get the same reading. That's the state of art in the industry in SBOM. So our researchers took some very, very popular open source uh, tools. I'm not here to bash tools, so I will not name them. But, you know, you, these are probably the names that come up to people's top five list of open source generators. We took a simple same application and they couldn't do it. So why? Well, lots of nuances, right? One, as you know, what we're trying to understand is all of the dependencies or open source packages consumed. Well, it's not that simple because... Open source packages bring other open source packages, and those bring other open source packages. So that's you know, been at my, any so point. That, that's been thing. my question for, for forever: is how far down that rabbit hole do you go? Right, James? Do you remember this conversation? Oh yeah. I even made a terrible rabbit hole joke, but it, yes. <laughs> but like, do you take the dependencies of the dependencies of the dependencies of the dependencies? Because if you keep going, eventually you're getting down to like C includes. Well, and then you're going circling right back because there's the circular references there. But you have to. Also true. I mean, at the end of the day, if you are trying to get transparency and ultimately you want to know what's in the application, yeah, the nth degree of the, the dependency code is in your application. So theoretically, any code that you're running as part of your application stack, you want to know and your customers want to know. Now, if somebody, for example, even pop some of the most popular commercial software composition analysis tools today will not be able to correctly resolve the version of a package. And because of that, they will then assume everything wrong beneath it. So long story short, I can go on for hours. The industry is not mature, but let's talk about the other problem here, um, Ruff and James, which is great. Even if I produce a most world's most accurate S-bomb, what is it doing? It's airing my dirty laundry to whoever is watching it and, and using it. So Everybody loves the food analogy and food label analogy for the grocery store. Let's just think about this. When FDA mandated food labels, great. Everybody put all the crap they were putting in your, in your food on the label. The next thing was, shoot, I better clean this up because now people right. know what I'm putting in there. Right. And so while we talk about S-bonds, right now we're just talking about the production problem. There's a whole life cycle problem here because now my customers will know how poor my process and governance of what my developers use in my software is. So I better shift left all the way to the point where my developers are selecting the software from the GitHub ecosystem and try to better understand what are they using? Why are they using it? What is the risk associated with it? Um, I posted yesterday, just, just to 
give context to what we're dealing with with this open source ecosystem because foundationally that's what is behind an SBOM. Yesterday I posted about a very popular JavaScript package that has 9 billion downloads and 250 million downloads every month, okay? And this is a single maintainer living in Russia, was in jail for 10 months, complaining about how he can't even pay his bills, yet the entire infrastructure of Netflix to Amazon to Walmart, every e-commerce site, uses his uh, his uh, maintained singularly maintained open source package. So do we understand that before our developers bring in that no. library? No, right? So I think that's the question we need to ask ourselves. SBOM is a means to an end. It's a conversation starter. Well, Let's go figure out how we're going to start safely adopting, securing, and maintaining open source software because only then will our, our SBOMs make any sense and be of any use. Yeah, I think, though, you know, one of the issues you run into, you know, it's great that you have transparency. And if you take the food nutrition label, like, that's great, but there's no requirements. You can't put anything in there. Like, people don't know what they're seeing, so they're just going to go eat it anyway. Like, I enjoy a good Twinkie. I know there's garbage in that thing. Whatever, I'm going to go do it. So until you regulate and say you can't have X, Y, and Z in there, okay, great. You have transparency. The downside with going down levels and levels and levels, right? As you talked about, Raph, you know, going down the rabbit hole of dependent, you know, uh, the transient dependencies. Here's the issue. Okay, so how do we get to the point, as you said, going kind of left to the developers picking packages? I'm picking the Bcrypt library. I found this package. Now, for me to find out that 50 packages deep, some developer might be some Russian developer that spent time in jail. Like, that's not happening. That is never going to happen. Like, we are not going to ever get to the point where we're saying, I'm going to pick that package depending on the the maintainer's stuff, right? Like, it's just not feasible that, that we're going to get to that. All the, That's why it's open source. And that's why it's all available. So how do you get to that point where it's like, okay, well, I see you use XYZ package. What is that? mean how does that determine whether my developers do a good job doing research do they not and how much research do you have to do before you pick a package like we'll never so hold on just scrap open source yeah so (laughs) i think we're blowing raf's mind today so yes go ahead (laughs) no you you are because this is this is stuff that that absolutely makes me crazy going back into the appsec days of your right 23 22 years ago when i was building an appsec program at a fairly large company it, we started looking at that, like, okay, what libraries are you including? And every once in a while, you'd be like, oh, this strut version, struts version is so old. Uh, you've got all these issues. They're like, well, we don't maintain that. I'm like, right, but you included it. And so the developer look back would look back at me and literally go, so what? I can't do anything about it. They're supposed to fix it. Go tell them to fix it. You know, like, eh, well, okay. I get it. So this is this kind of goes back to your point, Varun, where like this is the start of a conversation. I think having so when 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 stuff like this, um, this concept of an S bomb becomes, uh, I think too big for uh, too too much. You know, it's asking too much of its level of maturity, right? Uh, you're 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 trying to get a solution out of something that's literally just meant to uncover all the bad. And we're trying to use that as a solution, which it is, it cannot be because the solution, like, what are we ultimately trying to solve? We're trying to solve software security vulnerabilities, and that, which includes, uh, 
Okay, which which ha, you know has include is inclusive of all this the broken things that we include from open source and from probably closed source too at some point, right? Um, but even if you could identify them in in a, in a perfect world to the, down to the version and down to the piece of code, down to the version, right? If they all had a an include a, a file that told you, hey, this is what version I'm on, and this is the who wrote it, this is when it was last maintained, like. You would expect that yeah. readme file somewhere in a version.txt file. Remember those version.txt from like the 1990s? <laughs> Everybody had a version.txt file. Um, yeah. But. So, okay. I, I, I think I know where you're going with this. So let me, let me, let's break this down into small things. What, what is not possible? Five years ago, most many organizations, regulated ones anyway, were just firewall blocking access to GitHub. Those days are gone. Unfortunately, now people have kind of held open to developers can kind of bring in anything from anywhere. There's a paper process that says thou shall do X, Y, and Z, but nobody cares. Um, now, to your point, how much time is a developer spending manually looking at the GitHub project? And what are they even looking at? Okay, they might be looking at the number of forks. They might be looking at the number of stars. What are the number of stars? I could actually today spend $64 and buy 1,000 stars on my GitHub project. So that's not a real proxy of popularity or risk. So one of the things we've been focused on is wouldn't it be nice if you can have a Carfax report for your open source? Knowledge is power. Maybe you still won't do anything with it, but wouldn't it be nice to know who are the people behind this project? How well maintained is it? How good is their code quality? What is their mean time to resolution on issues? How many security issues are still lingering around? What are their practices like for deployment? Do they use CI? Do they use automation? How do we start getting at metrics for leading security and operational risk areas. With that information, A, developers aren't fools. They will do the right thing for the most part, or you'd hope they do. Let's say they don't. Let's say they ignore some of those metrics, right? We've seen that happen in security. People are trying to move fast. Well, then at least you have the metrics basis of which you can even govern, break bills if somebody's bringing in a piece of software that's no longer maintained and is you know 13 years old that you're trying to bring in and it's archived. Well, I'm not going to let you do that. Right. So not, again, it starts with the knowledge. It starts with the analytics. We as an industry, we don't have that information today. Obviously, at Endor, we're trying to solve that problem. With that, you can then write policy in your CI process to stop bad things from coming in in the first place. Then we can talk about the next steps. Does that make sense? And, you know, do, what do you guys think about that? How does that work as far as you talk about bringing it in? I've got an app that's 10 years old running jQuery 1. Right. Like, does it pick <laughs> yeah. that up and say, hey, wait a minute, we're going to break the build process now, because while you didn't just bring it in, this thing is way outdated yeah. and we've never updated it. You know, yeah. there's that two sides of that. Coin of we got the initial bring in of a package, but then we've also got the ongoing maintenance of a package that says, hey, wait a minute, we've been using this for three years. And guess what? It hasn't been updated in two years. Yeah. You know, like, how do we yeah. catch that piece as well, that now a package is no longer supported? once we've yeah. got it internally. So there's a technology piece. I don't think catching that is hard. We actually do that today. We scan your repositories. We know what's existing in your environment. I think the process is different. The governance has to be very different. Like I always tell people, if you keep worrying about what you have, more shit's gonna keep piling on, pardon the French. But what you really need to do is kind of think of these two things differently. What's my new applications, re-architectures, cloud native, modernization, pick your favorite buzzword. When new stuff is coming in, I can be a little bit more heavy handed with it. With stuff that already exists, that's 10 years old, I'm gonna have a roadmap, it's gonna take longer to convince people in engineering to fix it. 
but we have to kind of look at these things with a different lens. We need the same data, but we need different policies, different governance, and different remediation plans around these. So this comes who do back we to see, who do we see really trying to get use out of SBA? Is this something that every piece of software, or are we talking about something where the government is going to get some sort of software and where we want to make sure that, you know, yeah. it doesn't contain components from China or North Korea or something like that? Is that something that normal organizations are caring as much about or even having the the support internally to, you know, say, hey, I want to use that software, but we're going to check to make sure you have all these different pieces? Or is this a higher governmental type of thing or or higher sensitivity type of thing? I won't say just government, but. Yeah, um, I, I look at the example you gave, will the government look at an SBOM and then dictate where does this software come from? I don't even, we haven't even started talking about the SBOM consumption problem. We'll get to that in a minute because we keep talking about, give me an SBOM. I could swear to you, I have so many conversations with people who are asking for an SBOM when you say, what are you going to do with it? I'm like, uh, I will send it to our AppSec team. Do you have any tooling? Do you have any automation? Do you have a inventory? No, we're going to just be storing it in SharePoint Drive. Okay. How do you track so it? How back. do you track remediation? How do you track risk scoring? And it changes like, by the week, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So let's step back to answer your question. <laughs> uh, Log4j. I think I think that was a kind of turning point for a lot of the SBOM movement. People ruined Christmas, New Year's, holidays, trying to not just chase down within their own applications where on earth uh, Log4j is three levels buried into the code, as well as sending emails to 800 vendors saying, do you have Log4j? Do you have, do you have Log4j? And so I think there's this element of an overreaction around certainly the ask, but it's not, look, I don't think it's unreasonable if we do this the right way, thoughtfully with the right tooling, because at the end of the day, should I know in my company, if I'm the CTO of the organization, should I have a centralized software component inventory? Absolutely. I should know where I'm bringing in things from. What is the risk? Where are my developers using it? Tomorrow there's an incident, I have one place to go, not 30,000 repos that I'm trying to manually parse through. So that's the software consumer slash creator part of it. The soft, the soft, sorry, this is the software producer part of it. The software consumer part of it is just that, like, hey, when I'm running your software in my environment, shouldn't I know if I'm going to be affected with an exploit or a vulnerability or a log4j? I get it. It's a reasonable ask. But before you go ask your vendors for S-bombs, please answer the question, what are you going to do when you receive it? Don't do it to check a box and file it under your desk. And I think therein lies a bigger set of challenges that unfortunately, as an industry, we don't talk about, which is you need a whole set of technologies to A, exchange this information. Is your sales guy at the vendor going to be emailing you once a week and you S-bomb? No, that's not how it's going to work. So how do you securely exchange this information? How do you keep it up to date? How do you then store, analyze, deduplicate, and do whatever else you want to do with this? Yeah. So, okay. Let me, let me, I've, I've had something rattling around in my head since you guys started talking. Isn't this just yet another way of trying to keep tech debt from, from rising out of control, but in the software world, right? Yes and no. Measuring the technical I, I, debt that we have? Yes. This is the way for the software producer. This is the way to start measuring. You know, look, we've had service now for decades, right? People have wanting to know every laptop, every IT equipment, everything. It only makes sense you want to do that for your software components. I 100% agree with that philosophy. 
Whether you call it an S-bomb, you call it whatever, give it a fancy name. I don't care. Just catalog what your users and developers are bringing in. Who is bringing it in? Where are they using it? How are they using it? We haven't even talked about this problem yet, which is today, all your core screen solutions just track. You're kind of guilty by association just because your POM file has an import statement of a new package assumes that you're using 100% of that package code. When you're not, you might be using 10 lines of code within that. So you need a very accurate and fine-grained software inventory that tracks this down to at least what parts of the code base of that open source are you even using that you should be concerned about. Just because Apache Commons had this vulnerability in this part that's rarely used doesn't mean everybody should give up all their work and go chase it down. I should be able to systematically tell where I'm using the vulnerable function. So that's but the rough. Is SBOM yeah. getting to that though? Like SBOM's not going to get to the point where it says what coverage you have of that. It just says you use the requests module and the request module is vulnerable to this. The assumption is you're yeah. vulnerable to it, right? Like until you start getting into yeah. VEX and some of that other stuff that's tied to that's it. That's right. Right. But now we're tying in, you know, SBOM's not sitting by itself. It's now have to be correlated with some other data. It has to. And SBOM without VEX, I always say, is like a peanut butter jelly without jelly. You just can't have a PBJ without the J. Uh, and SBOM without the context. Let's go back to a real-world scenario, okay? Raf is shipping software to James. Raf produces an SBOM, gives it to James. James, let's hope, is sophisticated enough to run it against the scanner and not just file it in under the desk. Looks at it and says, holy shit, I see 18,000 vulnerabilities still here. You send a spreadsheet back to Raf. He's not even prepared to deal with that back and forth response investigation. In reality, Ruff's team, engineering team may have already triaged those and determined that they're not reachable. Maybe they're in a test dependency, but that context is sitting in your internal system. And until I expose that through the VEX to James, my customer, I am just exposing myself to more work. And so I think an SBOM without a VEX is useless. Right. Well, and that, you know, that adds to the whole, I got a thousand customers. And now I've got a thousand people running it against their systems, right? Like they've all got dependency tracks set up. They import it and they yep. say, oh, look at all this stuff. Now I've got a thousand people sending me something that says, yep. hey, you have all this stuff. Like, yeah, we know Guys, we do this, this is, internally. This is, this, is this is what I'm hearing happening and not having been in the software world for a long, long time. This is what I hear happening. I hear third-party risk management and spreadsheets being passed around again, right? Every 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 month, you get a thousand spreadsheets from all your 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 buy, people you sell to, and they go, "Okay, you're my vendor. Here, fill this out." And you're like, "All right, I'm gonna run my S bomb. Here you go." And you get, except in this case, this is actually worse because you're expecting ten thousand replies back that say, "Ooh, that's bad. That's bad. That's bad. I can't do it. I can't buy this until you check fix this." Oh, by the way, seven layers deep, something changed. Your code is now no longer acceptable. Like you have five days to fix it, and then. So where's and then the we stop building features, lie, right? Well, right. Yeah. where does the accountability lie? Because if I'm shipping a product that relies on a on, on a component that incorporates a library that incorporates an include that's got fundamental flaws, like so, we're talking four levels down. Yeah, my customers so, say can, to me, "What?" No, I, I think the one important piece here is it's a shared responsibility. I can't tell you how many customers or what I call enterprise consumers of open source kind of said what Ruff, you said earlier. My developer said, well, it's that person's problem. Well, that person doesn't owe you anything. You don't pay a dime to that person to maintain the software for you. So first and foremost, 
I think the problem is most enterprises think open source is free. Nothing in this world is free. You need a program like either you're going to staff it, you're going to potentially fork the more critical projects, you're going to vendor those dependencies, uh, or you're going to find a way to get the maintainer to help you. Those maintainers owe you nothing. And I think that one big challenge most enterprises have today is they're missing the tooling to even understand this, right? This goes back to that first step in the process. Like what on earth are my developers even bringing in from where and how? Well, and that's, so you know, that, that speaks to the, you know, they have to have an idea and an understanding that if you want to choose to use an outside library, like you are, you, you're taking on this shared responsibility, whatever. Like if it stops being maintained, guess what? You're now going to have to figure out a way to either get that code to maintain it yourself, or you're going to have to replace it with something else. You know, you have to have some sort of understanding around you have response. You can't just push it off and say, well, that's somebody else's code because if we're including yeah. it in our piece, right? My truck has some airbag issue. My truck's like Dodge still replaces that for free, even though they're not the ones that created the airbag, you know, or the system that the airbag probably went into. You know, it's a similar you know, type of thing. But, you know, I'm waiting for the G.I. Joe logo because this is a knowing is half the battle kind of situation, right? Like, okay, cool. Now we know. Well, kind of know, right? Like we sort – like you're telling me the the the, the gathering mechanism, the scanning mechanism isn't even consistent or very good. So I'm going to tell you everything beyond that, it, like is is like why bother? That's like saying, you know, I, I can – like I need an accurate reading of, you know, your blood type. Uh, because I can kill you if I give you the wrong kind of blood transfusion, right? And then you're like, nah, they're like 60% yeah. positive. They're a B plus. You're like, oh, try again. Oh, now they're an, uh, an O. Like, oh, that's weird. Eh, it's probably one of those. Like, I, <laughs> you I, know, I wouldn't uh, do that. Yeah. You know what blows my mind is for decades, we have had this significant investment around third-party governance risk and compliance for commercial vendors. And these are commercial vendors that are actually businesses. They stand behind a contract. Fine, you should do your diligence. I'm not saying don't. But the, the back door to your house is open source software that's coming in in troves that you know nothing about. Like, okay, we, we don't anything. say, look, third-party governance programs are not perfect, but they're better than not having anything. So to your point, okay, maybe the tools aren't 100% perfect. But at least start understanding the process, the mechanism, the selection criteria, how your developers bring in stuff. Use automation to start governing some of that process versus just sitting back and saying, oh, God, this is hard. I'm just not I want to ask it. both of you guys. Hold on, James. I want to ask you guys. An, this is an opinion question. And I want to ask both of you guys because this is relevant to both of you. Is If, if we know that different tools are – they produce inconsistent results, is that better than having nothing? I would say yes, it's better than uh, the art of perfection versus just sitting back and not. Maybe I'll get 70%, 80% of stuff out of it versus nothing. Well, you know, this your question ties exactly into what I was about to say, Ralph, which was, is the whole push for requiring, the, the, the want for requirement for SBOMs, is it about the consumer of the software or is it about this is a backdoor way to kind of push organizations creating software to actually be doing what they should be doing in the first place, which is having some sort of program in place. Like if I have the ability to create an SBOM, I probably have some sort of management around that where I'm importing it into some tool that will do the third part, right? Like, so, you know, as free tool, right? Like you look at dependency the track or something probably, like that. Dude. I can import the bomb in and I can get, oh, yep, here's the known CVEs. 
you know, pick any tool that you want out there that does this. But is it a way to push people to say, look, I really don't care about consuming. I'm going to say I care about consuming it, but I don't really care as much about consuming it as I do. I care that you have a process in place to create it because that means you're actually looking at this internally. I mean, if that's the case, like that's what it's pushing people to do is me as a client, I'm kind of forcing you to do this. It's no different than me saying, hey, look, I mean, when I fill out this questionnaire, like I want to see your latest, you know, an attestation that you had a pen test on. Do I ever see the results of the pen test? And if I'm a big bank, I probably do. But most don't, right? They see an attestation letter that says, yes, we perform this pen test during these dates on these targets. And, you know, we can, we can attest that a pen test was performed. We don't ever see the results. So is that similar here with an S-bomb where it's like, look, I, can you give me an S-bomb? Great. I, I can't handle it. But at least I know you have the ability to create them, which means you can easily feed them into a tool. And hopefully you're doing those other processes. Like, do you internally process S-bombs and yeah. identify and resolve known vulnerable components? Yeah, I, I think that's why I keep going back to SBOM is a means to an end. The end state is we want to see more maturity in the industry with managing open source software and dependencies. So I'm going to answer the question I asked you guys. I think the answer, <laughs> is it better than nothing, is, is no. Um, and here's why. Having worked in a large enterprise, I can tell you that the first couple of times that somebody notices inconsistent results, they're going to distrust everything you do and then it's going out the window. And your credibility is crap. You can't yeah. pro you can't go to people and say, "I need you to fix this," and then produce inconsistent results and 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 not have a solid understanding and repeatable results. And so now this is I feel like this is all right. We got we got we got a couple of minutes. We got ten minutes maybe. So here we go. So we've got this dichotomy right between the big companies, the big enterprises that could probably do something about a, a bill of software bill of materials when they get it, right? Being able to process it, being able to risk score it and put some kind of tracking thing in that says, all right, these if these vendors use old Log4j, these use new, how do I track this? I have a team, blah, blah, blah. The other 97%, are going to use that push button tool that's going to generate barf out some s bomb they're going to send it upstream to the vendor asking for it and that's it somebody's going to go great um you've got issues why aren't you fixing them they're going to go what well i think and those are the ones that need it the most i i think though we have to make sure we're clear on when we talk about inconsistencies the inconsistencies my assumption here is the inconsistencies are the dependencies that are pushed out, not the CVEs. Like if if I only get 70% of the dependencies, right? The CVEs that I'm getting out of that are accurate, right? Whether I get 50%, the, of those 50%, the CVEs are accurate. It's just that I didn't get the other 50%. But you would just said it screws up version numbers, right? And and, and <laughs> if the version numbers yes. have different CVEs, then you're, you're, you're missing it. Yeah, yeah, but but look, now now we're probably talking about the whole security industry and false positive in general. But let's just go back to the premise of how entire open source vulnerability scanning industry or SCA, several hundred million dollar industry works today. It scans your manifest files. Forget even the version right or wrong, but going back to the trust issues with engineering. 
Where are they? Why are they foundational? You scan something. You say, okay, you're using the AWS SDK. I'm going to assume that every one of those AWS SDK vulnerabilities applies to you. I'm going to report each one of those hundred to you. Now your right, developers have to review the code and tell you which 80 of those hundred don't apply based on how they're using the code. That in itself is broken. And that is something that we are very focused Agreed. on at Endor Labs to focus on fixing is don't just scan coarse grain stuff, actually build static analysis tools to understand how this entire dependency graph is coming together, stitching it. And by the way, Raf, 100% agree with you. You need accuracy of your even your inventory. Without that, everything else fails. So I am not a proponent of, hey, just go use whatever open source, free, cheap, fast tool to work. I think you need to find the right tool that is the most accurate and comprehensive. But if your choice is keep sitting and waiting for perfection versus at least get started and get the governance okay, that's programs going, you know, something is better that's than that. That's fair. That's fair. Uh, in the... In the world uh, where, you know, the, the, I, I, I keep thinking of what you said, like one, one guy in Russia that has, that's done jail time maintains a super important thing. It's probably like something that maintains all of Java or something like who knows. Um, <laughs> JavaScript, all web applications. JavaScript, that's even better, right? The most popular language in the entire whole entire world. Awesome. Um, I, like I, I sort of wonder... There are there are times when there are no alternatives to this broken, poorly maintained, or maintained by Ivan, uh, you know Ivan uh, Ivan the Terrible there, um, or or you know it, and and you can't like oh wait two three years four years into software development we've now just we finally run the S bomb checker it came spit out this like ultra uber critical thing. And says this is the most important. This is like this thing that's in there has been rated ultra critical by CISA and everybody else on the planet. You need to get this. This can't like you can't have this in here. And you're like, uh, well, here's the thing. It's fundamental to the way my code works. It's an enterprise product that's shipping, and I don't really have any alternatives aside from writing it myself. What at that point you're like, okay, what do we do? Is this like a? Yeah. You end up with – what's going to end up happening, I think, is knowledge will become power, but knowledge will become – it's like when uh, uh, companies start doing vulnerability scanning, right? Lots of companies do vulnerability scanning. Very few companies do proper vulnerability reporting. Why? Because it holds you accountable, <laughs> yeah. right? Like yeah. now that they know, they're going to have to be accountable for, for fixing it. Otherwise, during discovery of a class action lawsuit – Somebody's going to recognize that, hey, you guys knew about this nine months ago and you chose to sit on it. Boy, you're in trouble. But that's going to be everybody. Yeah. Yeah. Look, uh, let's think about what state of, our, state of the art is. What does Google do in this situation, right? What Google would typically do in this situation is they would fork this library. So they would peel it up and say, okay, you know what? We own it. We maintain it. It's critical to our infrastructure. It's number one on our criticality list. And there's potential risks. You know, we don't want this person in Russia sitting at home uh, at times when he's not in jail maintaining it. So we'll do it. We'll put the resources behind it. Now, if that's there's two pieces there. One is the army of people Google has to do fuzzing, to do testing, to do analysis of these libraries, to look at all these risks. Two is they have the maturity of being in a monorepo environment where they say, you own it, you fork it, you run it, you maintain it as a development team. The 99% of the enterprises have neither. So, well, one part of it is at least the first part of 
the knowledge part, understanding your risk is, you know, that's where Endor Labs is building a lot of the automation, right? Is the Carfax reporting. At least know that you're about to buy, a, you know, something that's got odometer mileage fraud. Okay, then you may choose to buy it or not. Let me tell you that first. So that's where automation kicks in. Now, there are things you can do to mitigate, right? You may, if it's critical to you and you're a large bank, you may fork that dependency. Worst case, nothing is wrong today except the fact that you don't trust this person's future updates. You may pin a dependency so you don't get auto updates without somebody reviewing it. So there are mitigating controls. It depends on your maturity and your investment level, but I think there's a fair degree of analysis at least you can do through automation. Yeah, I think it's definitely difficult to track, you know, I want this, but I, if I fork it myself, I lose all future updates unless I go pull those myself and redo all those myself. You know, the, yeah. you run into the issue with open source stuff, you know, simple things. We import a lot of stuff that's simple that you could write yourself, but they don't. I could see, you know, oh, man, I got this library that deals with WebSockets at the, the TCP layer. I'm going to let somebody else do that. Or a crypto library. I'm not set to do crypto. I'm going to let somebody else do that versus a trim, right, or a left function that, look, I could write that myself. That's not that big of a deal. The problem you start running into is, okay, I got that crypto library that uses that super simple left library that all of a sudden... And, you know, go back a couple of years, that guy yanks his left library off the Internet and, you know, the Internet crashes because we find out that everybody uses that one function. Right. Like every package relies on that package and, and it becomes that. But you don't know that. Or, you know, even if you get it today, it doesn't mean it won't pull it tomorrow. You know, there, there's no guarantee in that, you know, so it's a difficult yeah place for developers to be in never mind the fact that when you go search for a library there's fifty thousand libraries that do the exact same thing so you yeah. know that, there's a lot of stuff that goes into how do we pick you know what is the right library can we just like if there's one takeaway for the listeners here it's like every risk is not a cve i think there's a fundamental disconnect where we think every risk is okay it's in the cv database no unmaintained software, somebody archived the repositories, disappeared. You know, you're using something that's 20 releases and seven years behind. It's never going to be compatible with anything new. Um, you know, unused code. OWASP has actually started adding things like unused libraries that are lingering around because somebody's scared to yank it if they're not using them. You know, or the quality of the code is deteriorating. Like, there's lots of other early indicators that are not CVEs that are important considerations to have. I think also one thing we never talk about, because I'm assuming SBOM will cover this, because this is part of SCA, is also the licensing side of things, right? Like, what license is that put under? Can I put that in my software? If I put it in my software, do I have to do something specific with my software now that I've got that in there? You know, there's there's a lot more to it than, like you're saying, for instance, the, yeah. the CVEs. Like, it's not just CVEs that people look for. Yeah. It's great that we see, right? I mean, if you're doing any type of NPM ad, NuGet ad, right? It automatically checks for known CVEs when you add a module into your system. But, you know, that's not the only thing like we're talking about that we're really concerned about. There's operational risks that involve these different pieces. It's not just, oh, there's a known vulnerability. You know, there's other risks around yeah. that, which are harder to qualify, I think, sometimes. Yeah, definitely more fuzzier. All right. Well, let's leave people with with something more than despair. Um, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> Where? What's the next thing that uh, you think the industry should be working on uh, now that we have 
some level of uh, manifest production. Yeah. I'll leave people with three things, and this is really the step zero, one, and two in a maturity journey, in my opinion. The first one is just get your vulnerability programs to a place where they're sustainable. Like right now, your SCA tools are giving you hundreds of thousands of alerts, and everybody's looking at each other with blank stares because of the distrust problem you mentioned. You've got to rethink that model. How do you actually tell your developers only the things that actually affect them? Don't hold them guilty until they prove innocent. Do it the other way. Let them be innocent until your tools can tell them they're guilty. Step one, get that right. Step two, kind of start stop the production of more tech debt every week. That is when more, more of that shift left mindset around better selection, sustainable, secure libraries. How do you detect? How do you kind of put in programs to do that? And if you do zero and one right, you will be in a great place for us, Mom. I promise you that. And, yeah. and, and, and sorry, one other thing, S-bomb with a vex. Do not leave the jelly from the peanut butter sandwich. <laughs> I like it. I, you know, I think the, the thing we often miss on this too, when we talk about third-party vulnerabilities, which is basically, I mean, the, one of the key components of S-bomb is the ability for organizations and development teams to start figuring out a process to actually keep components up to date once we get them, you know, I mean, you pass over something and it's six months because, oh, I can't update. It's going to break something, you know, rarely are updates backward compatible. So I know I have to do a full site regression because I updated this one component. Yeah. But being able to start understanding that part of the cost of of running an application, there's ongoing maintenance that even if your code complete, this thing's out there running, no more features to go in. We still have to maintain that there's going to be updates for your frameworks yeah. you know it doesn't matter which framework you run on you know java gets updated net gets updated python gets updated we have to be able to update that we have to be able to update the components that you're using like we have to have a way to keep that up to date in a timely fashion because all too much all too often you know people come out and it's like oh well i have an update to that in two years and it's like that now the update process is ridiculous because i'm going for one to ten instead of yeah. incrementally going from one to 1.5 to 2 that is, and slowly yeah. up, right? But not an that easy is, thing to fix. I'll leave you, uh, I'll leave you right with there. a saying here at, at Endor Labs. Uh, open source software ages like milk, not wine. <laughs> well, you're going to make nice. a lot of friends. Okay. Is, is that on t-shirts yet? Because that should be. <laughs> Soon. He's going to be giving that away. Steal it, anybody. T-shirts. Yeah. <laughs> make, those, make those stickers. Make those stickers. I want one. All right, All right, folks. Um, well, that was a good conversation. I don't know if I'm leaving this conversation, Varun, hopeful, uh, confused, um, sad, or basically just all of those. Uh, I, I think I'm. I think I'm all of those. Um, I feel like this is a pro. A pro a, problem we've tried james i swear we've been trying to tackle this or something that looks remarkably like it for 20 plus years yeah and it's the fact nothing that, it's nothing new yeah. right i mean it's and the it's fact that we're here and the fact that we're here and we're like yeah you know finally somebody put some attention to it and it sort of kind of works sometimes like 60 percent of the time it works 80 percent of the time it's great and then and then it's like oh yeah but never mind the then what never mind the work that has to happen We've got to build, like, I think security tools, because, you know, Gartner's got their hype cycle, right? Like, there's got to be, like, a security tools utility cycle where 
Like problem exists, 90 tools get built uh, way ahead of the curve of somebody being able to do anything with it. And so you just like start pumping out tools and and people start going, we're back to the like, you dumb developers, how could you not know how to do this? And people are like, great, now what? And all sorts of madness happens. Um, and eventually like five years from now, somebody goes, you know, I can ingest that, stick it in here and use it as a, as part of our uh, code pipeline that if, you know, if you've got something bad in here, I can set thresholds and it'll prevent you from building and, pu and pushing code. But I don't think we're anywhere near that. And if we were, I think it'd still break too many things and we'd throw it out. So, all right, we're going to have this conversation in, 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 uh, in a couple, couple of months, couple of years, maybe, uh, maybe about 12 months given, uh, given the opportunity for organizations to really like work on this. Um, yeah, it's, it, it's, it's a problem that is, it, it's a very real problem, kids. This, this is one that, uh, I think is fundamental to everything that, that this industry has problems with. So thanks for joining us, Vern. Thank you for having me. All right, James. Woo. Hey, look, this is one that you talked more than I did. That's kind of rare. I'm, I, I'm love, I love good S-bomb conversation. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah, I love good S-bomb conversations. Like I love stepping on Legos yeah. at two in the morning. Listen, it's a good thing you didn't talk about this while you were on the plane earlier because you can't talk about S-bomb on the plane. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that, yeah. You got arrested. Why do you get arrested? You talk about S-bomb. Bombs? No, S-bomb. It's not the same thing. Can you imagine trying to explain? Never mind. All right, you know what? TSA agents, disregard that. I'm not really making fun of you. Um, all right, folks, yeah. thanks for listening. Uh, another episode of the podcast is down. Uh, this video is, uh, while the time you're listening to this uh, on the podcast, this is available on YouTube, on our YouTube uh, live stream page. Uh, this will probably get posted out to our LinkedIn as a video uh, reference link. And then obviously the podcast is there. Give it a listen. I'll link over to Varun and his profile. And you guys can go uh ask him questions that I know I've got more than that. I probably going to get answers at this point, but thanks for playing along. Thanks for listening guys. We'll catch you another time, another place on another down to security rabbit hole podcast, music play, cut the black. See you later. Bye-bye. As we fade out on another down the security rabbit hole episode, we'd like to encourage you to chat with our hosts and guests using the Twitter hashtag pound D T S R. Please check out the show notes, catch up on any episodes you may have missed, and subscribe so you don't miss a future episode. So on behalf of Rafal, James, for now it's goodbye. We'll see you soon on another Down the Security Rabbit Hole podcast.